Welcome to the Veloce Podcast, fast and fluid conversation with Kat Empey and Richard Bott. Hello and welcome to the Veloce Podcast. Hello. We're on episode 19. We are. Um, yeah, so gosh, almost. Uh, yeah, we're nearly halfway 20. through a year of it, aren't we? Pa- yes. Perhaps we should celebrate when it gets to 20. Yeah. We've made it that far and people are still listening. Oh, yeah. And it's actually got bigger. <laughs> yeah, they must have nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah, you guys must be bored. <laughs> no, <laughs> only joking, obviously. No, thank you uh, for listening on um, our podcast or watching us through our Veloci Driving YouTube channel. Either way is always much appreciated. So we're and only... subscribe at the bottom if you like it. We like that. Yeah, exactly. We're getting a lot of lovely comments and and people coming in. So yeah, please subscribe if it's your thing. Obviously, no pressure. It's not, but if it is, great. So come on then, Rich. What have we been up to this week? Well, we've got we've got an interesting week this week. We went to Croft, didn't we, up near Middlesbrough in the, in yeah. the northeast? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're quite where we are, right? Kind of sort of the northwest of England, aren't we? We're sort of between. Sort of Manchester and Chester, that kind of area. So it's not that far for us, but if you're down south, it's a hell of a long way to Croft. Yeah. It, when you came, when yeah. you lived in Wokingham, it was a long way to Croft. I'm well, guessing. that's how I always remembered it. Um, uh, this this chap, I better not say his surname, but Daniel, um, I used to race with him. And any time I had to come up to Croft for a job, a coaching job or anything like that, I'd stay at his. And it used to feel like the other end of the world. And he used to live right next to an army barracks. Yeah, catcher it um, probably. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it just always felt forever. I mean, I was only about 17, 18 at the time. And I remember he used to work in... It was probably a good five, six hours though, was it? Mm. Yeah, something like that. And he used to work in a little chef. <laughs> and I remember meeting him there because I couldn't find where he lived. Um, but anyway... Yeah, so anyway. So we were there, <laughs> so, we were there with our young Scottish yeah. female racing driver called Sarah Thompson. Actually, really interesting. So I know we've mentioned her a few times. Forgive us to keep repeating this, but I'm really quite excited about it. So as you probably know if you're a regular listener, apologies if you're not. So Sarah, yeah, from Scotland, 21, never raced, never did carts, nothing. Never done any All, track days or anything. Always wanted to, but her father works abroad a lot and then covid happened and things and and he raced himself in british gts well back in the day but i think he purposely wanted to keep sarah away from it um just because of the fact that the commitment the money you know everything involved time everything um however you know as for a lot of us life has changed a lot now um so she still really wanted to do it so it was like right let's do this now and she's done, well, up till Croft, two track days and odds, and then thrown into a race meeting, which is not how we would normally do things, let's say, but it actually, bizarrely, works really well because it threw her a huge amount of responsibility. Now, not every personality type would cope with that, but despite the fact that out the car she's quite timid, isn't she? She is, yeah. And um, she has some issues in the fact that she's severely deaf, that kind of thing. Yet in the car, it's not the same person. It's like Jekyll and Hyde. It's, yeah, um, no fear, pushes beyond belief. I mean, it's very rare for me to sit next to a driver 
with that little experience and pick it up like that so i just want to say huge congratulations to her in general but then we went to croft and we both sat with her well we need we? to get another day in because her next race is alton park yeah. which is a, not the most forgiving circuit in the uk and it's coming up on what the third of week, july yes yeah, the first weekend of july isn't it yeah. so we wanted to get her out on track and 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 just give her a bit more track time, really. Um, it's been so hard to find track days, hasn't it? Yeah. So the Porsche Club very kindly fitted us in, and we went along to Croft. And yeah, and, and over, uh, didn't we? the other thing is, like, we, we believe a lot in data, video analysis, um, visual techniques, drawing. You know, there's a number of things you can do with a driver. But when they're very early on, it's very useful to, not continually, but sit with them and um, we needed to drive and show Sarah also the importance of braking. So she'd done it on the sim, but the difference with this sim, as much as I love them and I think it's a great part of the package, you don't get the force, you don't get the same feeling. As soon as you're a passenger in a car and somebody's driving fairly quick, it's like a roller coaster. There's a whole different sensation and um, it just clicked, didn't it? Hmm. And, um, her braking became much better much later. Her timing, but the and fact carrying that, speed through the quick bits—that was what impressed well, me. For me, that's always been her strong point. Is she's got no fear, which you have to manage, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, no fear is actually not always not the great. Best. Yeah, but which I, is brave. Exactly. Is probably a better way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, and I'd always say it's easier to slow a drive down than speed them up. Yeah, and yeah, through the quick stuff, she's just got no, you know, there's no concerns there. It's just inner belief and go for it so we worked on more technical elements and the great thing with Croft it's not huge but there's a lots of variety of corners isn't there yeah. you've got quite a difficult hairpin first complex is tricky chicanes you've got um, also areas with camber changes and then you've got very quick sections so all really useful stuff and yeah to be honest I came away from the day a bit blown away with how good she was yeah, you know? yeah she um, was great and a few people kindly were like oh it must be down to you guys and in my head i thought i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> i think she's just really good um so really excited you know alton is a different kettle of fish in yeah. the fact that the only thing with alton it's one of the best circuits in the uk but it's also one of the most punishing so for us that's why it was very important for us with any driver to make sure they're as prepared as they can be with their money and availability and all that kind of thing. So, cope, you know, produce something that suits them, but get as much in as we can. So fingers crossed for that. So, yeah, we did that, which was great. Um, had a few other exciting things that I can't really talk about much at the moment, but um, when it comes to... Watch this space. Yeah, presenting and um, general commentary uh racing all the coaching things we've got coming um, up we've yeah. got opportunities for well, yeah. early days yet but we've got yeah. Some, so yeah, we've got potentials um, well in a nutshell we can say there's going to be a very exciting race academy um that will be linked to a very high team um so for people coming out of karting onwards so that's really mega um so that's all happening in the pipeline and we're also producing i can't say too much but some very exciting unusual track days let's say um so lots to watch out for and we will announce as soon as we're allowed to won't we we will so moving on then let's let's start talking about road cars to yeah, start with start road cars so 
as we often do, because obviously the, the cars everybody wants, you know, are always the expensive ones, aren't they? And this yeah. is a prime example, really, yeah. um, where Ferrari, I mean, Ferrari have got some great products around at the moment, haven't they? And they've just brought out another one. So following what McLaren have done with the uh, Antio, Antio, what's it called? <laughs> it oh, begins with yeah. a, uh, oh, the Artura, that's uh, it. Tour, I can yeah. never remember. Um, which is a V6 hybrid. Yeah. Um, so Ferrari have brought their version out. And of course, being a Ferrari, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a really pretty car. Yeah. There's a few people have said online they're not quite sure where it fits in the lineup. But what's the Ferrari called? It's called the 296 GTB. Yeah. And yeah. it's the first V6 mid-engine Ferrari yeah. since the Dino. Yeah, which is quite exciting because the Ferrari Dino is probably one of the most famous Ferraris out there. And this is the the, the first in a long time of mid-engine V6, but also hybrid as yeah, well. Yeah, it's the first so. time they've electrified what they consider a mainstream car. Yeah. <clears throat> so, of course, obviously, you know, if people think of Ferrari, it's like the, the mid-engine V8, isn't it? Yeah. So this is the first time it's a V6, because they're phasing out the F8 Tributo, which yeah. is the current V8 one that's going yeah. at the end of 2022 yeah. to be replaced by this thing. Yeah, so this is mainstream electrify Ferrari, yeah. which... Kind of proves the point. I know last week we talked about fully synthetic new fuels, which I believe will go ahead. But it does show um, that all major manufacturers will certainly at least have hybrids on the cars for their their uh, sports and supercars. Um, because certainly as a combination, it's not necessarily costly for the manufacturer because you've got two types of technologies and one so and the electric the electric engine the electric motor on this car is really quite powerful mm. it's like 280 horsepower it's quite a powerful electric which motor. is unusual isn't it yeah actually, so it's got plenty of poke from the electrics yeah because obviously that kind of technology's grown all the time yeah and you do think you know a combination of the two has got to be a few you know the, the thing the way to think of it is it's not an electric you can plug this in yeah um but hybrids that you don't have to plug in make a lot of sense mm -hmm. you know oh absolutely um so I think, like we were saying last week, you're going to have your electric, your fully synthetic new version of fuel, which will also be tied with hydrogen, and then you're going to have your hybrids. And I think supercars are going to love the fact that they can keep both because you yeah. have this amazing amount of torque with electric that you can't get with a combustion engine. Um, for anybody that's had driven any form of electric car, it could be something tiny, big, whatever, you have very instant instant power mm. and torque that you really struggle to get so of course you combine that with a combustion engine um becomes very exciting stuff so so yeah so like you say this is kind of to revive um rival the mclaren atura um so that'll be interesting to see how that fares but what um, i like about what the ferrari have done is they've they've made sure it's a it's a pretty object yeah it's a very ferrari thing to do so yeah. okay it's got fun form and, and sorry it's got function but the form of it is just as important to ferrari, yeah you know? yeah no i have to say um as a child always loved ferrari lambos mclarens i guess like everybody right and then i grew up and i fell in love with porsche and i unfairly I, i'd spent a lot of time with many manufacturers mclaren as well being one of them but not enough time with Ferrari. And I unfairly assumed that they were a little bit behind the times when it came to certain areas. And you know what? I've driven, been lucky enough, both of us, to drive some modern Ferraris. And you know what? That is so not the case. They're pretty special. They things, really they? As have, you would hope they would be. Yeah, they've always been special in the fact that they sound fabulous, they drive well, and they're a piece of art. But 
in other areas they'd fall down well those other areas seem to really come on like their suspension their general technology build quality, build quality yeah all of the elements that were notorious have changed and that for me is suddenly a game changer you know for anybody in the market when we're advising clients on what to get you know ferrari for me now is a much more serious thing that i would encourage people to have than i did in the past but it'll be interesting to see against mclaren how that gets on so this is what 231,000 start price start price they've only released the price in euros i think so it's yeah. whatever it's um okay so yeah. equates to because i don't think you can actually um, buy one yet i think it's coming out towards the end of the year isn't it i think yeah. they've, they've said right here it is they yeah. said to the press right here it is yeah <laughs> so they've yeah. all been talking about it and i mean it, it looks like any ferrari it looks like a ferrari yeah it's an amazing thing but it would be nice to see it um we're certainly chatting with ferrari and others to try to get our hands on it have a drive do a piece on that um you know it would just be great to just see what it's like mid-engine electrified it's a big step for them isn't it you know to like say go from the dino to this and it be electrified as well be really lovely it's, it's ferrari it'd be, it'd be fine it's like porsche isn't it you know <laughs> you know it's always said if they made a transit van and stuck ferrari badges on it they'd sell it wouldn't they yeah but hey <laughs> it's I, probably I'm... underselling it a bit because it'd be a great transit van oh you know what I, i'm dead excited about it so uh, moving away from obviously our uh sports supercars which are for people like ourselves a little bit out of reach, let's say, as yeah. much as much. Well, we, as we have a bit I, of a soft spot for, for golf, don't we? We've yeah. we've, we've had golf hours and things. Yeah. And I think with the Mark Eight, we've been a little bit disappointed, okay. which is probably a bit harsh on it, because the more you see them around, the more they grow on you, and you start to think actually that looks like a really quality bit of kit. And it has evolved and got better in many many ways. I think it's just the the 7.5 well the mark 7 7.5 was such a great car of course that makes it hard to beat and people's expectations grow and i think uh, the mark 8 um the jump there has been a jump but i don't think it was quite the jump people had hoped for let's no, put it that way it's gone yeah but some of that is legislation in the way that they do things of course, but, you yeah. know um and we, you can't get a manual in any of them really um, but you can the GTI, yeah, but, yeah. Well, how how long that'll go on for? I don't know because yeah. I was reading that you know the Jaguar, the new XE, you can't get a manual because nobody yeah. bought it. So perhaps, perhaps there's not a desire for it. But anymore. it is interesting because with Porsche there is, yeah. You know, so you think there is probably not as mainstream going to be, yeah. But then you say, would you say a GTI and an R and that kind of thing is mainstream? I don't know. Well, you see a lot of GTIs around, don't you? You do, but then surely these are the people that love driving. Yeah. Because otherwise, why not get a normal golf? Well, yeah, but I think you know, Volkswagen know the market, don't they? Yeah. You know. So anyway, so this is the Golf GTI Club Sport 45. So it's 45-year anniversary of the original Golf GTI. Yeah, so a uh, fairly special car. Yeah. Trying to make a statement. And they fiddle about with it. They're trying, aren't they? They're yeah. fiddling about with it. And apparently, it's a good car. Yeah. But it's not quite there. And of course, the benchmark is such a talented thing, which is the um, Civic Type R. Yeah, which sadly looks like a dog's breakfast. Well, it's not the prettiest car opinion, in the world, and that's my opinion. I think yeah. no offense to anybody that's got one, because actually, you know what? It's one of the for that market and price range. It's probably one of the best drivers' cars you could ever get, and it's got it, one it's of the any best. Price. 
at one of the best gearboxes. They, like you mentioned, weighted the yeah, gearbox. Fabulous engine. So you've got it? loads of feel, feedback, all that. So, so it's certainly not um, meant as in uh, a negative against the the Honda Type R. It's just the visual element is as it can be for for those cars quite trying less understated now it just depends what you want doesn't it we prefer more understated unless it's something well for me anyway like a, a gt car you know sports car supercar but it's each to their own but yeah so this obviously being the the you know anniversary of the club sport um, but it's more expensive than the r isn't it which is interesting it's more money than the r um, but is it better than the R? I don't know. I mean, it's more... I think it's a little... It's sharper, it's stiffer, it's all those kind of things. But it's still it's still front-wheel drive? Still front-wheel drive. And that, for me, is a bit of a thing, because... Because I think it scrabbles a bit from grip from yeah. what I've seen of it and what I've read of it. It scrabbles a bit, yeah. where the R never just gets, you know, just gets on well, with it. Well, exactly. As you know, I've got an R, and one, one thing that I always compliment about it is you never, ever ever get any wheel spin it's just astonishing the traction that thing has so for me i mean i haven't you know driven the club sport yet that's something we're dealing with volkswagen with at the moment to get a true true feel and understanding you never know 100 percent till you drive it do you because no. it can could completely convert us and you might think wow this is such a cool thing but as it stands on paper and what we've read it's not quite, quite. It's not quite there. Quite. But I think the benchmark for the, the class is a, is you know. Hard. It's a hard With the way class. that they've the Volkswagen have set it out, but of course the thing is, you know, with the with the Golf, the desirability is probably a lot lot higher than the Civic. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the build quality is beautiful in them as it always and is. They're and they're understated. They're understated, and they, they you know they, like I say you see more of them around, and you start to think actually it looks pretty cool that car. Yeah, and 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 what I mean by understated, I don't mean boring, but just as in, you know, it's not hello, look at me, yeah, I'm a boy racer. It 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 takes away that image, which I think in the UK we're known for being a bit conservative, and people like that, so it works well. You, now we drove the the McGann Trophy R, didn't we? Um, and yeah. we said it was all just trying a bit too hard. Yeah, really. and the thing with that car, it needed to be on a track. Yeah, really. Yeah, it was it was all right as a road car and a mega on a track. Yeah. Um, the Golf GTI is probably in the middle. Yeah, bit um, better as a road car, maybe not quite as good on the track. Yeah, but that's the thing. It all depends what you you you're buying this car for, right? You know. Um, so the Type R, if it's purely a track car, to be fair, go for it. Out of everything we've just discussed, it's the probably... Trophy R, you mean, not the Type R. Sorry, yeah, no, yeah. no, not the Trophy R, the Type R. Yeah, I think the Type R is a good road car, though, isn't it? You know. It's... Yeah, but what I mean is, I believe out of all three, I think that would still be the best on track as well. Yeah. From what they've done, I think it would be the best all rounder. Yeah. But but the Trophy R, yeah, would be a phenomenal thing on track. But would lose out on the road. Whereas it's if you could have a and... have a car that could do everything, what I mean by that is a Type R. You rock up, you drive it on track, like a lot of people do on track days, and you leave again in that car, driving it home. That's probably the car to have. But obviously, it depends. Like I have a Golf R, I'm never going to track it. As much as I love track cars, I'd have a race car or I'd get a different track car. So for me, the Golf R is everything suited for me. 
for my needs. So of course, it, this is where your personal preference comes in and it depends what you want from a vehicle, doesn't it? But it's quite an exciting time in that market. There's a lot going on, isn't there? Um, you know, a lot of rivalry. And I think for anybody like ourselves that can't afford that next step, these are the cars that you'd be looking at. Yeah, if you're, if yeah. you're a, class yourself as a driver or somebody who enjoys driving, then these are the sort of cars you're looking at. So that kind of links us nicely into driving. Driving, yeah. So it? so last week we were a bit tracky focused, weren't we? Because yeah. we talked about um, so, coaching and the exactly. importance of the driver coach and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so this week we thought we'd go a bit more roady. Yeah. Um, and and you can still link it to track, by the way. Yeah, you can, you yeah. Know, like a lot of what we talk about, road and track doesn't necessarily have to be entirely separate. Of course, there are differences, but there are a lot of things that tie in. But yeah, we decided... We have obviously a lot of mixed viewers and some love the track stuff, some like to know a bit more about the road stuff. So we thought we'd go slightly more focused towards the road this week. Yeah, so we've been doing a, working on a little project working with um, driver confidence, haven't we? Nervous mm -hmm. driver, not necessarily nervous, but people, some nervous, some just wanting a refresher. So kind of sort of people with more advanced in years and things like that. And it's been quite an interesting exercise of how to help them yeah. keep themselves a little bit safe on the road just not telling them you must hold the steering wheel like this and all that kind of stuff none of that about helping them to read the road and read situations and make sure that they're, they're arriving at the right time in the right gear at the right speed and all that kind of stuff and how best to go about that for them absolutely and i think this is where and i don't want to sound like we're blowing our own trumpet here by any stretch but um, this is where our nlp practitioner comes in our understanding of psychology because uh, we've been dealing with as you do in sport all different personalities experiences you know issues positives the whole lot um, but of course when you're dealing with people that may have had more severe situations on the road and reasons to have anxiety and even getting into a road car I had somebody this week who you know it was a big deal just to even sit in a road car again um, really fascinating subject, isn't it, really? But there are little, and I call them golden gems or driving gems, that you can give people of all levels, of all confidence levels as well, that can just really help reassure you as a driver and also know that what you're doing is right. Because um, in the UK, and I don't want to get controversial here, but we have become quicker pace there's less police on the road it can it's very busy it can be quite aggressive for some individuals that can be quite nerve-wracking so these these little driving gems can just help people feel more prepared more secure and more confident in what they do yeah so so essentially what i was trying to do with people is is try and help them to create some time because the the earlier you pick up on hazards and plan for them the easier they are to deal with where when they catch you out or you're not de dealt them with them in time and they become a bigger problem it's much harder to sort out mm -hmm. so what i talk about is how to, i try and help people to understand how they can read the road through deliberate things that are put there like road surfaces and white lines and signposts through to things that are not necessarily deliberate which could be all kinds of stuff like road surfaces like potholes or mm -hmm. um, tire marks it doesn't really matter what it is it's making observation links between what you're seeing 
and what you should be perceiving and therefore planning for as a driver. That's the thing, because quite often, obviously, we've mentioned it before, look ahead, you know, gain information. But that's one element. You can look ahead and scan back and forth and gain the information, but that's not the end of the job. You then need to do something with that information, don't you? Yes. And that's where you need to process and understand what that information is telling you and then looking for almost clues and cues to then help you in advance so you never get to a point where you are surprised you know and I know that might seem dark because you think surely there must be time you should surprise on the road and I'm sure with the best will in the world that will happen absolutely everybody but does overall, at some point overall yeah. you're aiming for as best as you can get aren't you yeah ultimately so how would you if you explain to people how you would do that then well I generally start with helping people to understand a bit about road markings which sounds like the most dry subject in the world <laughs> and but it and, and and I guess on one level it is but as a driver recognizing that that what the road markings are trying to tell you um so that you can see further ahead oh right the cat the, the fire agency are trying to make something jump to my attention here same with things like warning triangles and signposts. You know, there's the, the highways agency only put things out for a reason. So when yeah. you come in along and you see a corner, like Chevron sign, for example, it's because there's been crashes. Yeah. So they're trying to make you as a driver, you don't really need to know how severe the bend is. You, from further back, you just think, okay, right, I'm coming into a problem here. Mm -hmm. From all the information and traffic management that's been done in that area, you don't need to know what yeah. it all means. You just think, right, Often something's happening here to people that unfortunately they're not proactive they're reactive they're reactive yeah. so what that means is quite often it can be an accident black spot it might necess not necessarily be that severe but it means there has been issues so therefore it's a little problem area so you need to be even more prepared than normal for this area and it's most of us and hey we're not perfect i can't promise that every time i get in the car Am I 100% super professional focusing on driving and thinking about everything around me and, and linking those clues and doing exactly that? But I do my best. We're all human, but I do my absolute best to try and always link that. You never get to get it all um, right all the time. No, impossible. exactly. But I think it's just you've got to make the effort to try. And whether you're really into driving or not, this leans on safety, doesn't it? Yeah. Element. And and what it doesn't mean most... not enjoying it either. Right. You know, if you're driving um, and you're looking for these clues and you're looking for the, to piece things together and make the links in your own head, that can be good fun, yeah. you know? So a couple of little gems. More paint, more danger. Yeah. So if you see lots of slows or long centre uh, white lines. Hatch um, markings, anything yeah. like that, really. Anything like that. Uh, more paint, more danger. Be aware. And then, of course, yellow-backed signs are another giveaway, aren't they? Accident black spots generally yellow-backed yeah. signs. So. And, of course, what you'll find is if, you're, if there's a road near you that's a busy like commuter route, there'll be a lot more traffic management on that because there's a higher level of accidents and incidents. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's almost as useful, if not more so, on a road you've never been down before. Mm -hmm. So you're driving along and everything's fine. All of a sudden, in the distance, you see a yellow-backed sign and a load of paint on the road. Mm -hmm. You think, right, OK, need to be careful here. And the key thing as well with making the observation then is then to make sure you link it with what's going on behind you. Because yeah. the environment behind you is much, much harder to control. Yeah. So if you look behind you and there's somebody really close or they're on the phone or uh, whatever it is, you need to try and communicate with that person. So break a bit earlier, do things a bit more gently, that kind of stuff. So, But you've got to make that observation link in the first place yeah. <laughs> so that you know what, what action to take to deal with Absolutely. the hazard before it becomes a bigger problem. 
And the only, uh, you know, I think we've covered this really well. The only thing I want to add in is um, roads you know well can also be a big hazard. And I've certainly done it. And I, I'm sure if we're all honest with ourselves, have you ever had a journey where you get from A to B and you think, I don't remember the journey where the fact that you know that route so well so inside out and where it's going that you almost switch off from driving and unfortunately you're more likely to have an incident on a road that you know inside out because of that so as Richard said quite rightly about roads that you don't know but also roads that you know just remember don't switch off you might know the sharpness of the bend you might know there's a farm around the corner whatever it might be but you still don't know if a tractor might pull out or that there's a horse riding around or there's mud on the road or it wasn't there absolutely before. so just because you know the environment very well doesn't necessarily mean it's not a changing in environment it's not like a race circuit where it's much more secure it's actually constantly changing so all i'd say to anybody is roads they know well be even more strict with yourself if you can you know we're not trying to say we're saints and we do nothing wrong or trying to preach to people because that's not what we're about but just if you can if you recognize yourself off thinking about work other things and you're bombing along this country road that you know inside out just try to remind yourself am i going around this bend that i can't see can i stop safely can i stop with the space i can see in that kind of thing just little gems again like that that can make such a difference to you and people around you so yeah so we just thought we'd focus a bit on that because it's so easy to obviously focus so much on the racy side but of course vision anticipation looking for links clues that kind of thing all tie into racing as well so that's the thing um, what's amazing about this is it's not as separate as people think it's just the hazards are different yeah. that's all so i suppose i think we've covered that hopefully well that. any any questions of course on anything we've discussed whether it's about the ferrari the golf or a course talking more about reading the road or whether it's track based please please get in touch we appreciate your emails and messages so anything that we've sort of glossed over and not gone into depth with please ask away and we'll happily happily fill in the gaps so moving on to motorsport then which we're trying to reduce more this week because we have a tendency between us being so passionate about it we could spend all day just talking about motorsport which i'm sure there's listeners that could also listen all day to that but not everybody so we'll keep this as short and sweet as we can but if we start with formula one then yeah so french grand prix uh, which, which is happened. an epic they were saying some of the people were saying it's probably the best grand prix that's ever been at paul ricard because paul ricard can be a bit processional yeah as a racetrack um but this was a really good one yeah so just to go through the teams again like we did start with red bull so yeah. red there wasn't a lot in it between Mercedes and Red Bull, was there really, yeah. over the course of the weekend? Well, Verstappen stuck it on pole, led for about 300 yards, mm. and then fired up the escape road. Yeah, so. <laughs> the car, apparently there's a real heavy, uh, you know, breeze. Um, windy, yeah. You know, back, uh, you call it a back wind? <laughs> I'm trying to think what Tail you call wind. it. Tailwind, that's it. And tail wind, not, weird you're looking back for. wind sounds weird. <laughs> that's, um. that's an entirely different thing. <laughs> Anyway, hopefully you know what I mean. So he said we really struggled to get it turned in for turn one. Um, and because of that loss of place to Lewis, and it's so easy as an F1 fan to think, oh, well, that's it. And Lewis is going to just burn off into the distance and that'll be that. But actually, the opposite happened. It was close, literally. And I don't mean just with those two. 
all the way through the field, wasn't it? It was. It was a good, it was really, a good race. Really, really intense, um, which has made Formula 1 extra special this year. We finally got a year where Mercedes are being challenged. And everybody that watches it, just watch Toto Wolff's body language. It is so different to all the other years. He's very, very quiet, short. Um, not yeah, his... his interviews, he's not flowery in his interviews like yeah. normal. It's very to the point. Yeah, which, I want to go. which would suggest to me that there is some serious pressure going on within yeah. the team right now to get back ahead because I think they've been so comfortable and you get used to that, right? And you get used to a point of winning all the time. Anything else is just a disaster. Um, and, and that's kind of happening, isn't it? So, so yeah, so it actually helps Red Bull with strategy, didn't it, this time? It did. So they, they turned the tables on Mercedes because the Mercedes in Barcelona two stops if you remember yeah and beat red bull because at the end of the race verstappen's tires had gone and and lewis caught and passed him well red bull turned the tables and did exactly that yeah <coughs> they double stopped um where the mercedes tried to one stop yeah and of course it all came undone and but valtteri bottas exploded on the radio yeah and that's not very valtteri valtteri very... had to beep it all out well valtteri's very pc and a real team player whether he wants to be i don't know but he certainly is and you could see the frustration and his first words were why don't people listen to me with a few extra bits but yeah, <laughs> you know. yeah sure. and, and actually it does give you an insight though because you think so so Valtteri said it and then later when the race finished also Lewis said I told you that strategy wouldn't work and you think well, that's interesting so you've got obviously all this information you've got your engineers you've got all these people running individual departments live at the circuit Yet both drivers said the same thing. Now, I'm not saying the drivers are always right, but on that occasion, it kind of showed, didn't it? Ignoring the drivers paid a price. Yeah, it did. And, yeah. Uh, and, and Red Bull lucked in, well, not lucked in, they, in. Worked, they worked they incredibly won the race. hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the fact that they thought, you know what, we're going to play you, your own game. And we're going to do better than you. Yeah, and, and it worked perfectly. It was say, like two laps to go. He caught and passed him, didn't he? Yeah, and, and also, you know, uh, Checo Perez had another amazingly yeah, strong race. Because yeah. one thing with Perez is he's just, he's a race day man, you know, which is what matters. You could qualify all the time at the front, but you've got to get the results. And that's where Checo Perez is pretty special, isn't he? Mm. He has this ability to go long on tyres more than anybody else on that grid. And like you listen to the radio, it's like plan A plus five laps. Yeah. <laughs> you know, go long, go long, keep going long. You know, it's just amazing what he achieves. And at the start, he looked like he was falling off from, from the front runners, but apparently that was with all in the plan of going long. Um, so yeah, quite interesting really, and looking at the different strategies. So what about Ferrari then? Well, Ferrari again, I mean, probably certainly my favourite driver and one of your favourite drivers both drive for Ferrari. Yeah. Um, and I think they're getting that car into places it shouldn't be in qualifying. You know, because okay. it, it, so it's, it's further up the grid come the start than it should be because they just disappeared in the race. They didn't yeah. need them finishing the points. Yeah, and it's a shame because we all know um, Charles Leclerc is probably one of the greatest on the grid um, at this, you know, era. Um, anybody who's watched the up-and-coming ranks will say the same, I'm sure. Um, a very, very special driver. Um, but Sainz, as well, as I've I mentioned it time and time again, 
has impressed me and I watched an interview with Trevor Carlin who's brought a lot of drivers through the ranks junior ranks to Formula One and interestingly um, Chandok was giving him an interview and said about Sainz and was like so do you think Sainz will struggle this year get walked all over by Leclerc a bit like what happened to Vettel and um, Trevor Carlin said no chance I think people will be surprised how fast he will be. And this was all before the season started. Yeah. And you know what? That's exactly what's happened. Science has proved, you know what? I can get into any car, drive around any problem and be on the pace. And that's what he's achieved. But the big problem for Ferrari is they've got no race pace. And that's what it's they need to It must be something to do on. with the tyres because the clerk was struggling with the tyres all weekend. He couldn't with the fronts especially. Yeah. And obviously in the race, they must be... There's something that's set up on the Ferrari isn't working with the with the crappy Pirelli tyres that they have to work with. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway. Which is not Pirelli's fault. Pirelli are making a tyre they've been told to design, yeah, you know, yeah. but, but they hey, deliberately we'll dumb the tyres we'll down, don't they? But I know? do believe Ferrari have got two of the best drivers on the grid. Oh, yeah. And not just in the fact of their pace, but their pairing is how they got on with each other, you know, I think has worked very well. So very quickly to McLaren. So, of course, Lando had another Little strong weekend. weekend in the points but pleased to say Ricardo had a, yeah, good, a weekend. good weekend yeah he, he drove um, I think it's coming together for him slowly a- absolutely absolutely and well if we can quickly say we've watched free practice one and two and in, in free practice two for this weekend where is he second second you know Nine so marks. I know obviously free practice you never know for sure but I think Ricardo whatever was going on with that car it's finally coming together for him. Well, I read a thing that it's interesting. This about the psychology of it that he he hasn't been home since the beginning of the lockdown, the first lockdown, because oh, okay. Australia has been shot. Yeah. So he went obviously he went to the Australian Grand Prix and they came away, didn't they? He yeah. hasn't been home. Yeah. And I think he's struggling a bit with homesickness. Ah. Okay. He's not seen his family. He's yeah. not You know, seen his friends. Yeah. And there is a difference. You can have all these people around you, but anybody in those shoes, you know, there's people that. You love and trust, and there'll be so many people that you naturally can never really have the same connection with because of the position you're in. You but do no, just wonder how much has that been been in the factor. Well, psychology is such a big part of it, you know, like with Altry and you know others, you know, Gasly and. Well, you if you know. look at science, Carlos, he he, you know, very very close to his dad, his cousins, his manager. Yeah. Yes, everywhere he goes, he's got his kind of his Network, world around yeah. him, you know. So that's yeah. that'll give you massive confidence, make you oh, strong. Absolutely. You know. So Alpha Tori Gasly again. Oh you brilliant know. drive again, yeah. I, I really want and I don't mean this badly, but I really want him to be picked up by a top team, just not Red Bull. Because I think there are certain issues with Red Bull, whether it's Marco, um, Christian Horner, I, I don't know the ins and outs, but there's something not quite. It's quite a right brutal regime. That, yeah, and and I think Gasly has, it's not been a flash in the pan since he's been back at Toro Rosso. Um, you, not Toro Rosso now, sorry. Um, Alfa Tari. Um, you know, he really, really is on fire. Um, so he deserves something. But leading on to that, Sonoda. Yeah, but Sonoda again was quick again today. Yeah. And this is the thing with Red Bull where I think Sonoda should be given the space because he's, he's a really exciting driver. Mm. Um, and I think he should be he should be giving the space to stuff a car now and again yeah. you know the bloke's what is he he's, he's 18 years old yeah you know he only started racing cars in 2018 yeah you know give him time but yeah. of course Red Bull are already thinking oh they need to stop doing this and you think give the bloke time because Max yeah. was allowed to shunt constantly 
He was. And that was fine, you know. But so so as we've said before, Sonoda is moved to Italy, but um, unfortunately, Helmo Marke has actually come out with the fact that he believes he's very stubborn, lazy. He's come out with some quite harsh words. Uh, whether that's to G him up, I do not know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just hope Sonoda brings it together. But you're right. Um, you know, Max had opportunity to make mistakes and Sonoda's very fast. And the thing is, you're better off with them being fast and crash because you can actually sort that out than be slow. You know, so he's fast, he has that in him, and like most of the greats, initially will have make instant. I know you've got the odd one that doesn't like to be fair. Lewis is coming and being pretty much from the start, you know, astonishing. Same with a clerk, but Sonoda is obviously quite fiery, um, and he just needs a bit of time to calm down, grow up, which is what Max needed. And the difference yeah. in Max now is. He's a completely different driver and person to what he was when he came in. So, you know, fingers crossed they stick with him and we get to see what he's really about. So moving very quickly on to IndyCarp. IndyCarp. So they were in Road America. Yeah. Um, so we'll just quickly go through the through the race now. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about what I heard about. Um, um, so Kevin Magnussen was standing in for Rosenfist, who had the shunt in the last round. Um, and there was somebody overheard him and um, Grosjean having a chat, which I'll come back to in a second. But so Road America, all the drivers, it's one of the best circuits in America, and they all love it because it's a bit like a cross between sort of Cadwell and Spa or something. You know, it's it's got really fast, flowing sections, but there's no runoff, and there's yeah. you know it's a proper old school American track. Um, and interestingly, it's been one of the closest IndyCar seasons for a long time. Yeah. Because um, New Garden was pretty much not dominant, but he was quickest in practice. He was on pole. He led most of the race, and then the gearbox went. Mm. But but throughout the entire race, his mirrors were full of Alex Palau. So it wasn't yeah. as if Palau completely looked into it. Oh yeah. Palau pushed him really hard oh, the did. race, and he then did. and then won the race and is now leading the championship. But that's the sixth race in succession, IndyCar race, where the person who's led the most laps hasn't won the race. Yeah. And that's the thing with IndyCar. I can encourage people more to watch it. Um, you know, I, I watched IndyCar as a young girl and then admittedly had a big um, break out of it when you had IndyCar, Champ Car and all that kind of thing. Um, now we're back with IndyCar and you're getting a lot of F1 drivers move over and other very established drivers move into IndyCar. And, uh, you know, you can't think just ovals and people going around in circles, street circuits, race circuits. And as Rich said, you know, for people to lead, you know, like Paul Newgarden. Like two know, hours he spent in the lead and then yeah, and two laps to didn't go. Didn't finish, lost never mind. The race. Yeah. And Palau, you know, pushed him all the way and got the win. But gosh, how hard is that? But what's well, interesting gear, Palau, is Palau is teammates with Scott Dixon, yeah. who is probably one of the best in IndyCar probably the best that in the you, world. Could have, you could have as a teammate. So I'm wondering, I don't know. But how much that is helping him as you know as a young gun learning from the master let's say at ganassi um, and he certainly is beginning to run now isn't he so hmm. uh, it'll be really quite interesting to to see what happens there but, but uh, the grosjean magnuson thing it was they were talking about dossie because they both come from f1 hmm. um so magnuson was saying he's now doing imsa sports cars and he says the tires there's absolutely no degradation across the stint so you can go at 10 tenths if you want. And he says he's absolutely mega. 
and Grosjean was saying the first test he did in an IndyCar, he went out and he drove it all neat and tidy, made sure he got good clean exits, all that kind of stuff. Came back and thought, right, I've put a good lap together there. And um, said to his engineer, right, you know, how are we lap time wise? He said, you're about three and a half seconds off. And he was like, mm, you're so, shitting me. So, so then he went so out. Destroyed. Yeah, so he went out and just ragged it round, got it sideways, moved it all about, you know, really like on the ragged edge and came back in. His engineer went, yeah, that's better. But doesn't that show <laughs> how these so cars much more excited to, to drive than a Ford but, but that shows, doesn't it, why for a spectator it's also interesting to watch. Um, it's like we were watching something earlier with Toto Wolf, uh, Valtteri Bottas, and Lewis Hamilton just in road car Mercedes. But it showed their ability as drivers. The cars were sideways, you know, really kind of wrestling with them. Um, and it was impressive to watch because I mean t- today watching the practice to from that. Austria there was a couple of points where the way they've set the cameras you could see how quick the cars were because yeah. F1's biggest problem is you don't see you don't appreciate how fast they are yeah. and there was one camera sequence that they had and it was like whoa they look so fast yeah. then they were on board I think with Ocon at one point and again it looked like it was speeded up yeah. and F1 need to work on how they do that more with cameras I think because that's the biggest if you go and watch an F1 car live it is mind-blowing how fast they are. Yeah. But it doesn't come across on the TV. But for me, and this might be just me, but I, I like to also see them working in the cockpit. Yeah. And I feel like I can't see that. And it's no. not because you can't see in the cockpit, but you can't see what they're feeling. And, and, you know, they have to be so precise all the time that it looks so neat, smooth and tidy that you can't appreciate how on edge the car is, I suppose. But, hey, you know, it, it, it's each to their own. So let's move on anyway. So we've got the interactive question, which hopefully we've not done before this time. So this may no. actually be a new one. No, again, a bit more roady. So yeah. we thought, if you could, so you've got to pick any decade. Yeah. Obviously, since the car was invented, no point going to 1740s. Um, so to, you're going to do a road trip. Yeah. So what car are you in? Where are you going and why? There's a lot to go out there. Yeah. Um... Well, road trip first, I would like to do the West Coast of America again from Seattle down to um, Dallas and up to Vegas and do all the um, coastal routes, that kind of thing. And I'd love to do that in some form. Well, I was going to say classic Corvette, but I really fancy trying the mid-engine new corvette which i know is so you're not going back in time not you're going, doing, back you're going in time. now but surely well that's I all right you can, you can pick a decade yeah. yeah yeah well the reason is because i've not driven one and i'm not sure about its appearance but i've always loved corvettes and you know what i think mid-engine it's got to be pretty special it's going to sound fabulous in america you've got to have a car that's american right um, and the reason I want to do the West Coast is I've done it before, but I did it for work. So I saw all these amazing places, but in a flash. And I want to go and do it as a proper, proper holiday where you stop, you spend time in places, you take it all in. But you have to do it in an American car. So, And the only reason I'd like to do it in that is because I've not driven one and I'm very curious to know what it's like. Okay. So that's kind of my answer, really. What about you? Well, I would go 60s. Yeah. Um front engined open top ferrari so something like a 350 you know something like that v12 yeah. um down through throughout france over the alps and down through italy yeah that'd do me yeah with lots with, of food with anybody no else? motorways did you have a passenger well you can come with me apart from me though <laughs> was it if you could take anybody else who would you take um 
That is a very good question. I haven't thought of that. Am I allowed to say Amelia Fox? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably somebody well, like... No, you can if you <laughs> want. It's fine. Don't worry. We just won't talk after you. But no, I'm not joking. <laughs> um, obviously, he wasn't born in the 60s. Now, there was that. I'd go with Charles Clerk, get him to do the driving. Or do half of the driving. So then he can me, look on in awe when I drive. I, I would like to um, have Patrick Dempsey with me. So there you go. Because he's a racing driver. So with Patrick driver. and Amelia Fox go off together, then we've... Yeah, and we're back together, stuck yeah. together. No, I'm yeah. joking. No, Patrick Dempsey, because obviously being a racing driver, he'll know the States very well. Um, yeah, I, I think I get the impression that he's a very nice guy from... Or perhaps I just want to think he's a very nice guy, I don't know. But no, from what I've seen and I'm told by other drivers, he really is. Uh, so for me, Patrick Dempsey would be a great person to talk about cars, motorsport and explore America with. So that yeah. would be my answer. Yeah, you so, would have to pay for a drink if you got him. <laughs> so anyway, for, for you guys at home, please join in. So what, Let's dec- know what, what decade, where would you go, what car? But also I've thrown in there, who would you also like to go with? So you can't just say your partner because that's too, you know, standard. If you could take anybody, um, you know, just for the fact that interesting conversations or where they could take you or their knowledge, let us know. It'd be great to find out what your thoughts are. So next week, yeah, we've got BTCC Brands, which is actually this weekend, but we're going to cover it all next week. Yeah, we'll um, chat about that. So we're going to have a big talk about that. And um, what else have we got going on? We have got the Styrian Grand Prix. Yeah, so we've got that to Red go Bull on. Ring. So we'll all obviously cover what happened this weekend, and we'll introduce, like we do, the thoughts of that weekend. Yeah. But BTCC, we're going to do a roundup because not a lot's happened, obviously, as of yet. So uh, we're going to find out a lot more tomorrow and Sunday for that. So we're going to bring that into it because we've got a lot of fans of the touring car series and yeah exactly so we thought we'd bring that into it and, and, and to be fair we watch it all the time so it's a bit like we were trying to balance it you know how how much do you have but um people keep asking so you think you know what let's throw we'll it in there. there's no easy cars this weekend so we can yeah. substitute touring cars first. yeah <laughs> the other thing just to announce is next friday we have simon reynolds interview launching um so simon has worked for mclaren as a performance manager work people like lando norris um oh gosh the list is massive isn't it yeah basically anybody who's mclaren or mclaren junior yeah for a very long time not just that he has his own business um and all the things he's done before that but really explaining about the importance of a, a, a driver coach but not just from our perspective but his perspective as a fitness trainer and the difference between a regular pt and somebody like him who really understands the science of a racing driver um going into all the details of that what muscles are used the repetition but really giving us in a simplistic form an understanding of why racing drivers have to be so fit so look out for that we will still do our podcast but that will be a special with simon reynolds um the fitness pro that he is um so hopefully you guys will find that interesting anyway we will say goodbye for now enjoy your weekend and thank you for listening to us bye Thank you for listening to this episode of the Veloce Podcast, Fast and Fluid Conversation with Kat Impey and Richard Bott. Don't forget to subscribe via your chosen podcast provider and never
never miss an episode of the Veloce Podcast.